Our sermon today is going to be taken from Judges 8, verses 1 through 21, and I read in Jesus' name. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, What is this that you have done to us, not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely, and he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abizer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over, he and the three hundred men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come back in peace, we'll break down this tower. Now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all of who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Noba and Jogbeha and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Ziba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and he threw all the army into, pan- into a panic. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Harris, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and the elders of Succoth, seventy-seven men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? He answered, They answered, As you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jather, his firstborn, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a young man. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us. For as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna. And he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, I ask that you would grant us wisdom. Lord, that we might see and understand what you would have for us. Lord, that you would guide my words, that you might be glorified. Lord, that we might learn how to walk properly in this world. Father, we thank you. We praise your name. Blessed be your name, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you've probably noticed, The title of this sermon is Leadership Problems. And some of you might be saying, well, this isn't a sermon for me because, you know, I'm not really a leader in this world. I I just don't do that. I don't feel called to that. And to that, I would say, no, you're wrong because you are called to be a leader in this world. 
Because we live in a world of non-Christians. We as Christians are then called to be the leaders of the world. We're not to be followers of the world. We're not to be peers of the world. We are to be leaders of the world, but not leaders like the world leads because we're not trying to teach people how to become rich. We're not trying to teach people how to become healthy. We're not trying to teach people those things, but what we're trying to lead people in is in their walk with the Lord. And so that's how we interact with this world. That's how we interact with both Christians and non-Christians. That's our calling in this world is to be leaders in whatever situation God has given us. And if you know Jesus Christ, then you are to be a leader and you are to lead men and women into a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. That's your calling. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how young you are. If you know anything, then you know more than those who know nothing. Obviously. So to them, to them that know less, no matter how little bit less, you are to be a leader in this world. And so here are some things to avoid. Because Gideon fell into them. Usually when we look at Gideon, we look at all his positive attributes. But this sermon and the next sermon are actually going to be looking at some negative attributes of Gideon. And these are lessons that we are to learn about what not to do. So the first thing that Gideon does in this passage is he confronts the people of Ephraim. Well, the people of Ephraim really confront him because as Gideon caused chaos amongst the Midianites. Remember, well, last sermon, Gideon and his 300, they caused that chaos amongst the Midianites. And then God creates this fear and he turns every man's sword against his brother, his comrade. I don't know why they're Russian, but whatever. Um, turns his sword against his comrade and, and then they start killing each other and they flee and Gideon pursues them and he calls the people of Ephraim and he says, hey, take the waters of the Jordan against these men. And so the people of Ephraim they come now at this point and they're mad. And now this is a big deal to Gideon because Gideon doesn't have that many men. Gideon and his men, they've been up all night. They've been pursuing this army. And now he's got Ephraim coming after him saying, hey, why weren't you calling us? Why didn't you call us when you first went against the Midianites? This is a legitimate threat. This is a dangerous time. But in every dangerous time, there resides opportunities. And so what does Gideon do? Gideon flatters them. Gideon says, hey, you guys, you got Oreb and Zeb. You know what I'm paraphrasing here. What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abizer? So Gideon's saying, hey, what's left over by you guys is greater than anything that we've gotten. All we've done is we've scared the Midianites away. You guys killed Oreb and Zeb. This is what you guys have done. So Gideon flatters them. He says, you're greater than we are. Don't be mad at us. You're more powerful than we are. Don't be mad at us. You have more glory than we do. Don't be mad at us. He flatters them. And he misses a huge opportunity. He misses the opportunity to draw together warring tribes. Because Ephraim isn't called to be in competition with Abizer. Ephraim is called to be in competition with the Midianites. Abizer isn't called to be in competition with Ephraim. Abizer is called to be in competition with the Midianites. And so they have a mutual enemy, but here they're competing against each other. I think there's a lesson for us in that. 
Who are we competing with as Christians? What's our goal? Is our goal to get the most glory for our congregation? Is our goal to get the most people within our pews? Is our goal to have the biggest budget? Is that our goal? Is our goal our own glory in comparison to the glory of the other churches or other congregations? Is that our goal? Really, what's our goal? Our goal should be the kingdom of God in this world. What does that mean? That means that I am to know Christ and I am to make Him known. That is the goal. That is the the bringing out of the kingdom of God, the unpacking of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God in my life, that the kingdom of God would come into my life and that from my life that it might come into the lives of the people around me. And so we have a common enemy as Christians and that common enemy is Satan himself. And so he is to be our enemy and the non-Christians are to be our prize. And so we are to be bringing the knowledge of Christ into this world instead of competing with people that are also Christian. Now, does that mean that everybody calls himself Christian as a Christian? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Just because I'm in a, car, in a garage doesn't make me a car. Just because I'm in a church doesn't make me a Christian. But at the same time, those other denominations, those other believers, wherever they be, they aren't our competition. They are our brothers and our sisters in this common battle that we have. The battle against the evil one himself. The battle for the souls of men. That's what Christ came for. To save mankind. And so we're called to bring that gospel out into this world. And so Gideon misses that. Because Gideon continues the competition. He says, well, you beat us. And in saying you beat us, he's saying, hey, we're in this competition and see you won. Rather than saying, wait a second. We're on the same side here, brothers. He doesn't draw them towards that greater purpose. And that's a leadership fail because he fails to lead his peers. He fails to lead those who are in front of him. So drawing them back to that greater purpose, saying, hey, don't worry about me. Remember that we're called to be following God. He's saying, hey, you got more people than we do. You got bigger people than we do. Why are you worried about us? That's not the point. It's God who's the point. We are to be following Him and to be making His kingdom come into this world, not to be competing with other Christians. So Gideon missed it. Second thing that Gideon does is the interac- his interaction with the people of Succoth and Penuel. And now there's a real need. Gideon has a real need here because Gideon's got these men and Gideon is leading this army, small army, mind you, maybe more of a militia at this point, but he's leading this army of men and they don't have any food. And so he said, comes to Succoth and he says, hey, we need food. We need you to support us. We're blessing you. We are doing God's work here. And we need you to support us. That's what we need right at this time. We're struggling. We're hungry. We need support. We need help. We're not calling you to do the work. We're calling you to help. Help us do the work. We need the whole body involved here. The people of Succoth said, you haven't caught Ziba and Zalmunna yet. You haven't blessed us yet. You haven't won yet. We'll come and we'll support you after you've won. 
Once you have the big breakthrough, once you have the big victory, once the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna are in your hands, when you show us that you actually have conquered, when you come and bring that blessing to us first, then we'll support you. Oh, that's a brutal spot to be. So he goes to Succoth and he asks for support and they say no. He goes to Penuel and he asks for support and they say no. And so then what does Gideon do? Gideon humiliates them. Gideon humiliates his fellow Israelites. So when he comes back after winning, when he comes back with the blessing, what does he do? He whips the men of Succoth, the elders of Succoth, with thorns from the wilderness. So what sort of person deserves that kind of punishment? A brigand. A punk. Someone who just needs to be taught a lesson. Someone who is low. This isn't someone who's committed a capital offense. This isn't someone who's committed some grave offense. They're not some great criminal. They're just a punk. And so Gideon grabs the elders and he grabs the leaders of Succoth and he says, this is who you are. You guys are losers. You guys are failures. And I'm going to treat you like that. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm going to treat you like that. So he humiliates the people of Succoth. And he does the same thing to the people of Penuel. Except even harsher. Gideon removes from them their ability to defend themselves. Because why would you build a tower? You build a tower because it's a place of defense. It's a place to attack when people are attacking you. So you climb the tower and from there you can shoot your bows or from there you can throw your stones. We read about that in the story of Abimelech. Abimelech gets hit in the head by an upper millstone. So the top of a millstone hits him in the head, almost kills him. He ends up dying by one of his followers. But all they did was they threw it down from the tower. Boom, he's done. So that's the purpose of a tower. It was a place of defense. And so also, that was the purpose of the men. That, you know, in ancient times, this is the place of the men. The place of the men was to support the family. They were to protect the family. They were to be the ones that went into the battle. They were to be the expendable ones. And I know that sounds harsh, but all I have to do is read military history. And you'll realize that this is the way that men were often treated. We are the expendable ones. The children aren't expendable. They're the next generation. The wives aren't expendable. They are necessary for the rearing of children. We as men were expendable. And so, what does Gideon do? When Gideon comes to Penuel, he takes away their ability to defend themselves. And that was a harsh spot to be. Gideon humiliates them. He says, your defense is nothing. You are nothing. So where's the fail here? Well, it's the question, who's judge? How should Gideon have acted? Now, Gideon is in the heat of the moment. You know, he's in the passion of the moment. At the same time, who is judge? Gideon's a judge, but a judge for the Israelites against the Midianites. Gideon's not called to be judge, jury, and executioner of his own people. No, Gideon is called to, to offer forgiveness and to pursue reconciliation, to bring the body together, to continue to seek this support. Because now Gideon has an opportunity to show who God is. 
Gideon has an opportunity to show the wonders and the glory and the love of God. Gideon has an opportunity to show the forgiveness of God that he himself has received. Gideon has that opportunity and what does he do? He brings wrath. Disparagement. Humiliation. He removes their ability to defend themselves. He brings them low in their eyes and the eyes of everybody around. He humiliates the men of Succoth and kills the men of Penuel. Tears down their tower. And so this is why when we find out the sin of another that we don't just go and blab it out. We confront that person personally and individually. This is why we go through the steps of church discipline to try to bring these people back into repentance, to try to unify, to try to bring people into, back into relationship with us and into relationship with Christ, always being willing to offer forgiveness, always confronting. See, here you were wrong. This is what God has to say. We don't joyfully do these things. We don't humiliate people. We don't pursue humiliation. Because when you pursue humiliation, all you do is cow people. You know, you break their will. And then you break the will of everybody who follows you to make a mistake. To some degree, we're called to be free to make a mistake. Because none of us are perfect. None of us do things perfectly. If you hold me to the level of perfection, to the standard of perfection, I'm going to fail you, and I already have. This is actually the second time preaching this sermon. Because the first one was way too long. It's like 40 minutes. So Gideon doesn't allow God to be the judge. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And so as we bring people into account for their sins, we're not judging them. We're pursuing repentance. Because we're not condemning them. We're not humiliating them. We're not saying you're worthless. What you've done is indefensible. Rather, we're saying, hey, there's forgiveness. Come join us in experiencing that. Thirdly, Gideon misses the opportunity to disciple the young. So after he'd caught Ziba and Zalmunna, he questions them and he says, hey, what did you do with the men of Tabor? Did you kill them all? They said, yeah, we did. This is Paul that paraphrase. So he said to Jather, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Now what Gideon did here, Gideon actually is giving Jather quite an opportunity. Because back in this day and age, if you were the killer of kings, that, that was a reputation. Like that was a status symbol. Jather could have lived out the rest of his life saying, hey, hey, I am somebody, I killed Ziba and Zalmunna. I am somebody, I killed the kings of Midian. They died by my hand. I took the lives of great men, of powerful men. So Gideon is giving his son an opportunity. But that's a big opportunity and that's a big burden because every opportunity holds responsibility. Every right holds responsibility. Every privilege holds responsibility. And there's fear there and there's danger there. And so Gideon is giving his son an opportunity. But the problem here is that it's too early. It's too early. 
And so Gideon, remember, how long has this been going on for Gideon? Like a week? Maybe two? We don't know exactly how long it took for all the men that he called when he blew the trumpet and people came to him. You know, the Lord clothed him with the Holy Spirit and he blew that trumpet and the people came and then he divided them out afterwards. You know, we know that a couple days passed because he laid out the fleece and then the night passed and he laid out the fleets and the night passed. And then we know that it was night when he attacked. So we know that, you know, it's at least a week from when Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to when he's defeating the people of Midian. There's at least a week. But a week's not a very long time. And so Gideon goes from a coward to being a leader of men to being a killer of kings in a week. You know, that is, it's a huge leap forward in maturity. But Gideon's not bringing Jather with him. Gideon's just expecting Jather to have changed. You know, and there's the problem. There's the problem. It's too early. His son is young. He's inexperienced. He hasn't had the interaction with God that Gideon has had. And so when Gideon grants him, grants him this great opportunity, Gideon is failing to realize where his son really is at. Failing to realize the immaturity that exists in his own son. Gideon misses it because he grants him the opportunity that's great, forgetting that his son is not yet ready for that. Gideon fails to disciple. And this is what we're called to do as Christians in this world. So our first goal is to bring the non-Christians in because they are our prize. Satan is our enemy. The non-Christians are a prize. We bring them in. And as we bring them in, what do we do with them? What happens to the non-Christians then when they become Christians? We just tell them, okay, go and sit in the pews. You listen along, you'll be fine. Sing these hymns or praise songs. You'll be good. No, we're called to walk with them, to share what Christ has given us, to share our walk with the non-Christians. This is discipleship to be a father or to a mother to them, no matter if they're older or younger than us, no matter if they're smarter or not as smart as we are. We're called to share with them the bounty that God has given us, and that's discipleship. To walk them, to help them mature, to teach them, to show them love, to show them forgiveness, to show them grace, to show them our own failings and how we deal with our faults. We're to show them these things, to share our lives with them. This is, what it, this is what it means to disciple. This is what Gideon failed to do. We know that Gideon failed to do this because his son was too young. So what did Gideon do? He just did it himself. You know, I'm sure that at this point, Gideon probably had generals around him. He had other men around him that would have been able to take up this responsibility, that would have been able to take up this opportunity. He could have given it to them, but no, he steps up on his own. Gideon doesn't raise up the next generation. Gideon has 70 sons. And they're all killed by Abimelech when the people of the area rebel against Gideon's line. And they embrace Abimelech as their king. A terrible thing. But why does that sort of stuff happen? That sort of stuff happens because the next generation hasn't been trained. And so if we're looking around at our world and we're saying, hey, why is Christianity failing? I'd say, hey, it's because we're not discipling the next generation. 
We're just expecting them to learn like we learned in the heat of the battle. No, we're called to disciple, called to walk with, we're called to train, called to guide. That's our responsibility as leaders in this world. You say, well, I don't know enough. If you know something, you know more than the person who knows nothing. You have something to share. Whatever you have, you have something to share, whether that be much or whether that be little. And then see how Christ uses it. You know, you think about the bread and the loaves and the fish, just this little bit that the little boy shared. Christ used it to bless everybody. So a little bit that Christ has given you, a little bit that Christ has given me, we share it so that might be a blessing to everybody. That's what discipleship is. To walk with someone, to share with them what Christ has given you so that the next generation doesn't fail. But rather when those opportunities come to be the slayer of kings, when those opportunities come, they might be able to step up and say, I can do this. Because I know God as well. So today as you live about your, go about your way, as you live your life, what are you pursuing? What's your goal? Is your goal the kingdom of God? Or is your goal your own glory, own satisfaction? What's your goal? Where are you looking? Is your goal to bring non-Christians in? Is your goal to know Christ better yourself? Or is your goal to compete against the rest of the people in this world? I hope your goal is the kingdom of God. And as you bring those non-Christians in, people are going to hurt you. Don't humiliate them. Love them. Show them the grace of God. And trust God then to bring judgment. Trust God to bring vengeance. It's not ours to bring. God will do it. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. That's a promise. That's a threat. That's a warning. So then we bring them forgiveness. Lest the Lord have to bring it, step in and repay. And then as new Christians come in, as young Christians come in, what do we do? We disciple them so that when those opportunities arise, that they might step up saying, I can trust God, I can do this because I trust God, because God is faithful. I can do this. Because that's what it means to be a leader in Christianity. Amen. Let us pray. Father, guide us. Bless us. Be glorified. Lord, that, that your gospel might go forth from us into this world in every way. Lord, we pray for the non-Christians and ask that you grant us opportunities to share your truth with them. We pray for our detractors. pray that we would show them love and grace rather than trying to humiliate them. Lord, and we pray for those who are less mature in their walk. Lord, that we would have the humility to love them. Lord, and to build them up that they might move beyond where we are at. 
Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.